0: Hi, how are you doing? Sure, so uh, we live here in Kansas City. Um, My mom and dad are both uh, engineers, have engineering degrees, Um, they both don't do that now. Uh, I also have a sister Allison who attends St. James and she's two years younger than me. in terms of family, family time is really important to us. Uh, we, we spend a lot of time together uh, doing stuff over the weekends, um, try to eat meals together. Um, but my family has always um, emphasized the importance of hard work, I guess, and being selfless. That's something that I see in my mom and dad a lot um, is the sacrifices that they make for their family and how that's important. So that's always kind of been a, a, a driving factor in my life, I guess you could say. Well, I don't know. I might disprove you there because, um, well, it depends on who you ask, but I was, uh, as a kindergartner, I was very loud and annoying. And I guess I am still very loud and annoying if you ask my sister. But um, <laughs> but uh, as a kindergartner, um, I, like I said, my parents instilled that value of hard work. Um, and I found pretty quickly that I didn't want to let people down. Um, I felt like, for better or for worse, that if I didn't get good grades that, or didn't work super hard that I was letting people down. Um, that was something that I would figure out later in life that that's not, that's true in a sense. Um, I also had some social struggles, uh, when I was a kid, um, that I've been able to overcome. Um, but that kind of allowed me to, or help made me not, uh, able to communicate as well in kindergarten. Um, but it definitely did get better. Uh, but as a kindergartner, um, I definitely did find that performing aspect. Um, I remember our kindergartner kindergarten play. I was cast as the rooster in a little show called Cockadoodle Dandy, which um, yeah, it's just a funny show. Um, and so I was the main part, uh, and the video is still there, and it's just very very funny because I just went for it. You know, I had absolutely no regard for anything, and I just I just went for it, and it was a lot of fun. And that was the first time I'd really gotten into acting was Kindergarten Play. Awesome and of <laughs> I would say so. Yeah, maybe, yeah, maybe In grade school, I definitely tried a lot of new things. Um, my dad was a huge advocate of this, and I really just can't thank him enough for allowing me to try everything right because there's some dads that you know are really strict about your kid has to play sports like I really need you to play sports um, or I really need you to do this or do that Um, but my dad not only did he let me try it all but he got actively involved in it so if I was doing baseball which I did until sixth grade you know he was always trying to coach go play catch in the backyard if it was basketball same thing you know we'd always go to the gym workout, um, for running exactly the same thing, but then also theater, which is totally different. And what he did was super cool because, um, he learned how to do the lights, uh, for the shows and he programs the lights now and designs them for all the shows that I do. Um, and he allowed me to try theater, which is totally different from sports. Uh, and then Cub Scouts as well. Uh, I did, uh, Cub Scouts graduated as a Blow didn't move on to Boy Scouts. Um, but I I definitely got to try everything, and I was a very curious grade schooler, I guess you could say.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Absolutely. Mhm. <laughs> well, uh kind of the similar theme, I wanted to try everything, uh specifically things that allowed me to get in front of others. I I had an interest in doing that. So quickly I got off to doing um the musical, first musical I did was Mary Poppins uh in in 2016 and that was a lot of fun. Uh that led to choir and orchestra. And also Drumline, I tried Drumline for a little bit um, with Mrs. Harrelson, and that that was really great. Taught me a lot of lessons, um, and also let me go to the football games, which was cool too. Um, so just everything that I could do that would get my uh, that would get in front of people um, and entertain is what I was interested in, and that included campus support as well. Um, did a lot of things with with campus support as well as broadcasting, obviously um, with the Thunder Broadcasting Network. That's kind of the culmination of that I guess you could say um, was getting involved with that helping start it and then um, building it into the program that it is today. Well, I felt like when I was um, when I was in grade school uh, the fear of failure always had been presented to me as a learning opportunity. Um, but I had never really received, I guess, blowback from failure um, until high school. And I think that when I, when I like when I talk about things that I can't do, the first thing I always think of is dancing. Anybody, you can ask anybody that's done a show with me. I'm an awful dancer. <laughs> I just cannot do it to save my life. Um, and so, uh, um, when I was cast as a specialty dancer um, in one of the shows, much to my dismay because I knew that I would have to uh, really work on this and and get it down, um, I, I just had to work really hard at it, and I had to be comfortable with the fact that it wasn't going to be perfect, right? Right. Yeah. So I I had to work really hard at it. And I knew that I was not going to be as good as everybody else on the stage. I was not going to be the best guy dancer out there. Um, But and it took me a while to feel comfortable with that. Um, But after I did, it just allowed me to be more free and not have to worry about all the other effects that come along with, you know, constantly doubting yourself. Um, I guess we can just start with a student and then we can kind of move on from there okay. yeah so um as as you may have figured out, you know working hard is is important, and that's something that's kind of been instilled in me um, but I always like to i'm I'm a very planned person, I always like to kind of have a plan. I'm not. Somebody that's like, oh, let's just get in the car and then we'll drive around and then we'll find something later. You know, like I'm always like, let's have a destination in mind. Even if that destination changes, we should just have a destination in mind. So, go ahead. Um, I don't know if I write it down, but I definitely think about where I want to be in a couple months and what I want to want what I want. Um. My future to look like um well, I definitely want to feel like I understand that I'm going to college, so i I want to feel like I have a good understanding of college and that i I don't want to feel overwhelmed, so I want to try to put myself into a place where I don't feel where I don't feel just completely swamped and overwhelmed because I remember sophomore year of high school when I started getting into all of this stuff I was just so overwhelmed and it was taking a toll um, on other aspects of my life so trying to avoid that in the first two three months when you're transitioning to living away when you're transitioning to all this other stuff um, is I think is going to be important for me um i definitely i keep a calendar and this is one thing that i would say for my family we have a shared family calendar that we can see across all our devices our phones computers whatever and that is just like the best piece of advice i guess i could give any family would be to have a family planner because you can just see what everybody's going to be doing at any time right so if i want to go out with friends i can just look at the planner and say oh you know my mom is busy then But it looks like the car is available so I can use it and we'll be good. Well, I would definitely say that um, you have to go into it knowing that it's not your favorite class and knowing that you're going to have to work harder in this class. Um, I always like to think of the end goal of, well, at least I can get it out of the way now so and, and not have to worry about it later because it will come back to bite you. As I've seen, um, just on Friday I had to register for classes for Mizzou, and I looked, and my math credit, you have to take a math credit, and even though I'm not a big math person, but I went ahead and did college algebra at at Johnson County um, with St. James so that I could get the credit out of the way, right? Um, and now I don't have to take a math ever again because it's done. So it's just like ripping the Band-Aid off. You can just rip the Band-Aid off and it's, uh, it's going to be a lot better down the road. Same thing with science, too. I'm not a big science person. M- much more into reading and literature. as far as i can see yes um <laughs> no i will admit i'm a little bit of a procrastinator when it comes to the summer reading um just because you know summer's the break and you want to kind of enjoy it a little bit and you always think like you're starting far enough in advance Um, but I guess we can kind of talk about uh, when you get into that spot where you're like oh man I've got to finish this up quickly um, it definitely helps to have time planned out so the last couple days of uh, summer last 14 days I guess are some of the most planned out for the past couple years because I had to devote a specific amount of time to reading each day and then uh, and then move on from there. So that's that's always kind of been the thing with summer reading, although I've been trying, and I and I did actually finish the Mizzou summer reading now, so it's done and out of the way. But part of it was that it was a good book, so I, I will enjoy reading a good book. Uh, it was called um, What the Eyes Don't See. It's by Mona Hanna-Attisha. It's about the Flint Water Crisis and what happened. She was the one that actually uncovered it, so... Mm-hmm. Right, yeah. No, I think you're exactly right because um in junior year we had to read 1984 and I knew that 1984 was going to be a book that I would enjoy reading. So I read it without annotating the first time and then I went back and annotated it later on. And that's advice I would give to everybody that that thinks they would be interested in the book because it is a good book and personally I think that annotating ruins books. But um But just doing that allowed me to also be more fluent in the book, like you said. Well, the first uh, musical that I was in was Mulan Jr. in 2012, and I guess that was kind of the birth of my singing career, I guess you could say. Um, shortly after that, um, we were able to take private voice lessons, so I started taking some, some private voice lessons, and that really helped uh, develop my skills. Um, by November of 2013, I had a, a lead role as Young Turk in Tarzan, um, which was one of my favorites, And so, uh, that was really fun because I, I got to do a whole song by myself. Um, and then after that, I was like, you know, I, I kind of like this. I like singing. Um, it's, it's a lot of fun. And so I knew it was something I wanted to do in high school. So I started doing it in choir and, uh, and then dabbled in soloing as well. I, I took a solo, uh, vocal solo to contest, um, sophomore and junior year, obviously not this year because we didn't have it, but it was, uh, yeah, it was really good to do that. Um because it was just a different skill. Right. Um, I don't know, that's a tough question. I think that, um, I mean, part-wise, I'm a baritone, which means that kind of in the middle of a uh, standard male range, Uh, You have the tenors on the top and then the basses on the bottom and baritones in the middle. So I'm kind of in the middle. Um, Baritones have some pretty powerful notes um, in the middle of their range that you can just belt out. It just sounds really, really good. Um, You can just power through those notes. Um, Think Valjean and Les Mis. That that would be a baritone part. Um, So I would say that that I can excel in that and bringing a lot of power to it. Um, My range may not be as high as some professionals and we can talk a little bit about more of that more of that later about high ranges nowadays uh but I would yeah I would describe myself kind of all around I've tried to get the right breathing techniques because um singing classical music um which is what I did when I took voice lessons is a lot different than singing modern music or modern musicals or pop something like that and it takes a lot more breath support and a lot more um how do I say it a lot more uh precision in terms of what you're doing in terms of when you're vibratoing or shaking your voice I guess for people that don't don't know what that term is uh and and then the dynamics being soft and loud um I feel like because of my musical experience we'll talk about violin I've kind of had those skills going in so that was one less thing that I had to learn it crossed over Well, I would say I would say that's the next level if you're trying to to really go into a more professional singer kind of mindset. But I'm of the opinion that anybody can sing if they really want to. I mean, you, I'm sure you sing in your car when nobody's there. And it probably sounds um, a lot better than you think because people it's actually scientifically proven that when you hear yourself talk or you hear yourself sing, you think it sounds worse than it actually does. You're your harshest critic. That's something I always have to keep in mind, is I'll always look to try to nitpick my performances, and that's sometimes can be good and sometimes can be bad. Mm-hmm. (laughs) Yeah, so the Guys and Ties uh, started in 2017 when our choir teacher, Mr. Cole, took um, some members of the Barbershop Harmony Society um, to St. James, and they taught us the basics of barbershop music. And what's fun about barbershop is it has a very distinctive sound. Um, There's some very specific technical things that go into arranging a barbershop piece Um, in a barbershop style. Um, For any people that's familiar with music, it's a lot of seventh chords. Um, So adding the tension in a chord um, is really important so that it can be resolved later. Um, And then moving parts in specific ways. That was what makes it sound barbershoppy. So um, I just kind of fell in love with that style, immediately turned to Evan and Aiden, who are two of my closest friends, is like, hey, you want to get a quartet together? Just try it out. Just see what happens. And, and they were like, sure. And then we looked for a fourth member and we stumbled along none other than Caleb Walters, who's just an amazing person um, and a great vocal talent. And it's interesting because he has a pop background. He's never been professionally trained. Um, the rest of us have had private music lessons, um, either with other instruments. So even today, he still can't read music to, uh, to the level that the rest of us can. But he provides kind of a different aspect of it because um, because he can tell us um, about the feel of the music a lot more just from somebody else's perspective so it's good that we kind of vary in that way Um, and then it just kind of grew from there Uh, the first year would definitely um, it sounded good but we were definitely still learning each other's voices and learning how to work with each other um, because you know the voices have to blend you have to have the same feel And so then, you know, by senior year, we were able to get songs done super quick. I think the one we took the contest, we we didn't sing it together until like 48 hours before the performance. But that was just how comfortable we felt with each other, um, that we could just pick something up and go right with it. Well, the last in-person performance of Guys and Ties was on March 11th, um, and that was when we sang When I Lift Up My Head. We actually sang that in late February um, for, uh, for our competition, uh, and we did, we did really, really well in that competition. And so um, we were very happy to support the school, along with the Girls and Pearls. They, they also scored really, really high as well. Um, we were very close. So that was, a, that was a really good thing. And then we performed it at the choir concert on March 11th. And then I walk out of that choir concert and I read the news that the NBA has suspended their season. And then two weeks later, two days later, that's it. So I'm glad that we were able to kind of have that last performance. Then for the virtual choir concert in May, we sang a piece that we had always wanted to do called You've Got to Change Parts. And so obviously there's four parts in Barbershop. And in that, we changed parts throughout the entire song. So I would sing the highest part and then sing the lowest part and moved it all over. Uh, and it was just really funny. It was a good time. And it actually worked out that we did it, um, I guess, virtually over a recording because we were able to move the, the tiles around. So I had a lot of fun editing that. Thank you. Well, I would definitely say make sure you're listening to the right things and getting the right advice. Don't try to sound like the pop singers of today um, that you may think of, because a lot of that is not real singing. A lot of it is electronic or processed, um, specifically for guys. Um, When you listen to a pop song like a Charlie Puth or somebody like that, their range is so ridiculously high that you will damage your voice if you try to sing those songs all the time. So knowing your, knowing your range, I think, is a really important thing so that you don't blow out your voice. Because I know a lot of people that, that just try to sing really high, and it's just not there. It just doesn't sound good, and you're damaging your vocal cords. So vocal health is a really important thing um, when you're trying to get started because it will help you build stamina later on. Um, another important thing is breathing. Um, basically people say diaphragm or chest or whatever. I just think it of make your belly bigger and then bring it in when you're, when you're singing and try to control your breath. So you're not using it all at once. Um, that's kind of a really two, two quick things. Um, but a lot of it more than you would think is make sure you have the right example. Well, if you're going to do professional singing, then I would say, you know, or or classical singing, um, more opera style, um, then I would look at, you know, classics like Brahms or, you know, people that sang those really well. Um, If you are just looking to kind of sing for fun, um, then what I would do is, you know, on the piano, I would try to find your range, find the highest note that you can sing, um, and then really just keep an eye on on what you're listening to and don't try to sing higher than that. Um, But of course you can, you know, sing along with a pop song. I do it all the time in the car, so... No, no, you don't run into the same problem 50 years ago, unless you're listening to like screamo rock. And then obviously you don't want to be doing that unless you're going to be professional at screamo rock, because that will really damage your voice quickly. If you don't know how to do it properly, um, which I don't, <laughs> uh, huh. yeah. Yeah, <laughs> most of those people don't last very long, unfortunately, um, in their careers because of the because of the screamo stuff. So it's it's just a balancing act. But um, more often, you know, in the, in the past, really twenty years, I would say ranges have moved up um, for for modern music, even in musicals too. Um, some of the stuff that they expect you to sing is really quite interesting. And the other thing is, if you're a kid, you have to know that your voice is changing. Your voice doesn't actually settle until about 25 when you're a male. Um, for females, it's, it happens earlier. Um, but when you're going through puberty, that's a big thing, um, that your voice is really changing. I remember when I did Mary Poppins, I was cast as Michael, and I had to sing a lot of high things because, you know, I was 14 and the role was designed for an 8-year-old. So um, there was that. Uh, but I remember as soon as I stopped doing that show, Um, and stopped singing those high notes, within two weeks those notes were gone and I've never been able to sing them since. So a lot of it is practice um, literally every day uh, if you want to be able to, to sustain a range. Yeah, so like I mentioned, I started um, with Mulan Jr. in 2012. Um, That was my first show. I did it at Christian Youth Theater. Um, That was what was recommended to us, and I had done a couple camps there that weren't really shows. They were just showcases. Um, So I I had experience with the organization, um, and I really liked it. Uh, And so I started with Mulan. Excuse me, I was cast as a a little Hun soldier uh, in Mulan. Uh, The next show I did was Beauty and the Beast, um, and I was cast in Chip, uh, as Chip in that. So uh, from there, it just kind of moved forward, and I I caught the acting bug. um, And my last role that I played was uh, Captain Von Trapp in Sound of Music um, back in February, and I'm really glad we got that show in just in the nick of time before everything shut down. At CYT, I've been in 16 Um, from the time I was 10 to now, uh, and then, uh, at St. James, I believe I did five or six. Um, yeah, so I've, but I've really enjoyed doing community theater. The most fun, I think it's a tie between Young Turk and 2013, just because it's just a fun role. Um, and then also I played Huck Finn in 2015 Tom Sawyer uh at CYT and so that was just kind of a fun role because you get to be this all-American boy um and really put your own spin on the character and just go for it um so that show was a lot of fun because the the kids were the leads right so you had you know 10 11 year olds on stage being the leads Definitely Captain Von Trapp because you have to get into a mindset that you can't that you can't relate to directly, right? Like I'm not a dad, so I can't relate to um what it's like to go through that um or, you know, what it's like to be strict as a military person. So I really had to kind of delve into okay, what would that look like and spend a lot of time just thinking about it. Just just trying to go through this guy's life and think about, you know, what does that look like for him? Well, a big thing is don't watch the movie. Um I did not I had not watched, well, maybe when I was young, but I had not watched recently The Sound of Music and I didn't watch it until after we did our show. And the reason was because everybody has this image of what Captain von Trapp is, right? It's Christopher Plummer. And I remember the first time I walked into rehearsal for that show the director was talking to me about my character and she was like, "Matthew, you are not Christopher Plummer, and that's a good thing. So I don't want you to play Captain Von Trapp, like Christopher Plummer. You should play him like Matthew Newkirk. So I was given the license to do what I wanted with the character. And, um, honestly, you know, my parents are such a great resource for me because they're not actors. They're just people. And that's who I'm performing for just people. So I can ask them, hey, you know, what do you guys think about this? And, you know, is this something that's coming across to you? Um, so, finding your audience and talking to your audience is a huge part of it. Um, I remember I uh, was on a road trip with my dad and I was driving and we were running through my lines and the character work that he unintentionally did with me was more valuable really than any other character work I did for it because it's just, I mean, he, he just, offered, you know, advice different different ways that I could do this. They're so like, "Hey, I think it it might make sense this way to try saying the line, you know, in this kind of fashion and and definitely helped me change the character into something that was really cool for the audience to see. As a dad and as a person, just as somebody that enjoys watching theater, What do you mean by that? <laughs> well, I guess, uh, are you more comedy
1: or drama. That's one angle. And then a the second angle is that uh, be like they play the same type of record, 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 yet, yet other like they have such variety, and they do such different things
0: so, Uh huh. Like, yeah. Well, I, I mean, it's important to mention that I've been in ensemble um, in quite a few shows. Um, so, but, you know, developing a character in ensemble is always fun. Um, and then also dancing. So that's kind of one aspect. But if you just took those experiences out of my career and we focus only on the named roles, um, I definitely think there's a lot of diversity in the roles that I've played. Um, and I feel like I have a good understanding of how to do um, drama and comedy. Um, I've done some. Shakespeare just a little bit, Um, not a ton. Um, I definitely feel more at home with comedy, um, I would say, because I feel like I understand comedic timing um, just from many funny people in my life uh, and and kind of having enjoyment of comedy. Um, But like I said, Captain Von Trapp was a different kind of role because it was definitely serious, and he has to change throughout the show from this old gruff guy to somebody that has a lot of life now um, because he's found somebody that he loves and has found his children again. So that's a big part of it um, and was something for me to really to play with. Uh, but I feel like after that, I'm a much more well-rounded actor. If I continued acting, I would definitely want a different experience. Um, each time, I think an example of this is CYT did Fiddler on the Roof in 2015. And I played the Fiddler, um, because of, because of my violin and I, I asked for it and, uh, and they were like, sure, yeah, we'll, we'll have you be the Fiddler. So I played it live. Um, and then St. James does the show two years later and Mr. Hernandez asked me during my audition, do you want to be considered for the Fiddler? And I said, no, I think I want to do something different this time around, do a different role. So I got cast as a dancer um but I also played in the pit orchestra which was cool. I got to do I got to do both. Yeah. I think you have to be very observant of life around you, um, and how people act as well, uh, to to grow to grow skills as an actor, and you always have to be willing to learn too, right? Like, even though I've been acting for eight years, I learned so much by doing Captain Von Trapp um this past winter, um, and learned way more about myself and my skills as an actor, um there. Um, I really think that anybody if you if you got rid of the stage fright and you got rid of, you know, it, everything else, all the other factors, people playing people is basically what acting is um, in trying to do that. And there's, you know, technical things like not turning your back to the audience or projecting those kind of things like that you can teach. But there's there's a part of acting that you can't teach. I would say a lot more people could do it um, than, than you think. Um, a lot of it is, you know, obviously, I'm, I'm sure you know, but the number one fear is the fear of public speaking. And I think that gets in the way of a lot of people wanting to do singing or acting because they feel like it has to be in front of people and it has to be, um, you know, this thing. And, oh, actors never get nervous on stage. Like, I can tell you as a fact that's not true. Every time before I go on stage... I'm always one of the most just super nervous. But as soon as I get on the stage, then I'm able to kind of focus at the task at hand um, and and not worry about all the other factors. And I feel much more at home, I guess. But waiting backstage, those first five minutes before you go on, that's the worst time. And so um, so I think that's something people don't know is that actors get scared, too. Everybody gets scared. Yeah. Um, I I try to to minimize everything that's going on around me, um, and just focus internally. Um, I, I also I also like to pray. <laughs> you know, that's part of it too. Just say a quick prayer, take a couple deep breaths, um, and just focus on what's about to happen and kind of run through things in your head. That helps me. Um, when there's a lot of distractions going on around me and when people are trying to pull me in different directions, um, that's where things can, can get a little hairy sometimes. Um, but I think the more experience that you have with being scared, then you're a little comfortable with yourself being scared and you can know how to, how to respond to that and know that it's going to get better when you get on stage. a really good question i think it would probably be a bad thing because it would diminish what you're about to do right because you always have a sense of accomplishment after you walk off that stage and you you know realize what you just did and hey that was really cool and i overcame that so i think it does a little bit diminish what um if, if you didn't have a fear um of you know what you just did
1: Mm-hmm.
0: yeah absolutely absolutely and i think that's why people bow with the actors bow at the end to say thank you for coming it's not this self-indulgent thing um but it's it's a thank you to the audience not a thank you to the actors Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so I actually have a specific story that turned into a really good college essay. It was the night of October 27th, 2011. It was the World Series Game 6, uh, Texas Rangers at St. Louis Cardinals at Bush Stadium in St. Louis. It was the ninth inning, the score was seven to five. The Rangers were up. Um, Cardinals had, I believe it was a man on second, and there were two outs. Cardinals are down to their last strike of the World Series, right? So one more strike, and the Rangers win. Everybody thought it was over. Then David Freeze comes up to the plate, this hometown man from, from St. Louis. He gets up there. On a 3-2 count, he whacks a, uh, a double right over the head of the right fielder, Nelson Cruz. It hits the wall. Both runs score that were on base, and it's a tie game, seven-seven. And I remember that moment so distinctly because I was sitting in my parents' room, was watching on their twenty-year-old TV that they had on the dresser, because um, I I couldn't be downstairs, so I had to be in there. And I, my I think both of them both of them were asleep at that point because it was pretty late. It had been a it had been a pretty late game, but I remember the the volume wasn't very high, and I could just kind of hear the the crowd cheering. I couldn't really hear the commentary. And so I just started commentating the game in my head and throughout that entire inning, just doing the commentary. And then it went into extra innings. And then of course, David freeze hits his walk off home run in the 11th inning again to cap off the night. And I remember calling that in my head, calling it, um, just calling the moment. Uh, and so after that, I always knew I had an interest in it. So every time I would play a video game, I remember, uh, MLB 2K12 on the Wii. That was the game. I would play that game. I would turn the commentary off um, and then have the other sounds and then just commentate the game while I was playing. Um, And then I had an opportunity in 2014. We went to Denver, Colorado to a Cardinals-Rockies game. And uh, they had this booth in the outfield area for the kids. And it was a booth where you could go and call half an inning of the game. Um, Your voice over the actual broadcast so I went in there with my dad and me and my dad did it for half of a uh for half of an inning we called half the inning uh of a of a real game and so you see the real professional graphics just without um the the real commentary and you have us uh so after that I was pretty sure that it was something I wanted to explore uh then I got into Thunder Broadcasting at St. James um I kind of happened upon the application form by accident. I was the only sophomore that applied for it. Um, And so I got in and uh, within a couple months, I was able to commentate a couple. I, I think the first, oh, this is right. Yeah. First football game I commentated was October 27th, 2017, which was six years to the day after that, that Cardinals game. So just a really cool, uh, turn of events, I guess, that that led to that, and then that's kind of where I fell in love with it. Um as uh, over the last couple of months I've been thinking more about producing, um, because it's you're not on air, but you still get to use skills of team management and um an artistic vision, uh, and kind of all the things that I've been doing and you kind of put it all into one to create a product, um, as a as the the team leader, as a producer. So that's something I'm looking to get into, but I wouldn't rule out being an announcer, too. That would be a lot of fun. <laughs> well, we'll see. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, I mean, here's the thing. Anybody could commentate the Super Bowl, right? Anybody could do it. It's not that hard. Um, most people know the players in the Super Bowl, and, and most people could commentate the Super Bowl. I think what really defines your skills is if you can commentate a high school football game and make it entertaining. Um, so I feel like, honestly, I've been doing the harder part, right? Because, you know, if I go commentate a Mizzou football game, I most of those players' stories... I already know, or most, I mean, most people that follow sports will know the stories and will know how that team functions and kind of know what to look for. So I guess to answer your question, you do need to have um, a level of sports knowledge. Um, but I think the more obscure the sport or the more obscure um, the platform, the, uh, the more knowledge you have to have to be able to make something that wouldn't be entertaining, entertaining. To just commentate, um, I think it. I think it really helps uh, to to have some kind of knowledge. I think honestly, acting comes into it um, for me too because uh, you have to. You just have to know how to make your voice sound entertaining, right? Find people that you that you appreciate how they commentate and um, find people that you like to listen to and, um, and try to gain something from them. But I think the biggest piece of advice is just start. You can start by watching anything and, you know, start the way I did Um, find a a game. I know there's not many on right now, but there are some, Um, but, or you can go on YouTube and find all kinds of games, but find a game and just start commentating. Just try to get it going. Maybe even do it with a friend too over zoom, that can work too. Uh, and it would be a lot of fun. Just jump in. And then, and the, yeah, no, then the opportunities will will come later if it's something that you feel like you're interested in. But a lot of people want to do it. And so that's why, um, honestly, I'm looking at producing as well because a lot of people want to do sports announcing. And it's, uh, it's a very, very tough uh, thing to get into. And I don't know if it's, It's not necessarily like self-doubt that I I know I can do it because I've been doing it for the last three years. Um, But in terms of job stability and those kind of things, producing is a little more stable and also makes a little more money. So those are all kind of factors to consider. Absolutely, the producer makes more money because when you think about what the producer has to do, they have to manage what they're saying in addition to what every camera is doing And all the graphics and all the highlights and all the advertisements, all of that is run through one person when it comes to it who is sending it out. Um, In addition to being a team leader, being somebody that can work on the fly, because things go wrong all the time with live broadcast, if that's one thing I've learned with doing live broadcasts, it's something always goes wrong. And it's just how quickly can you adapt to it? So the producer absolutely makes a, a heck of a lot more money than the than the on air talent. A good producer from the from the people that I've talked to in the industry, a good producer is a rare bird. A rare bird. Exactly. they know
1: how to act, and they inside all that,
0: but Exactly. Yeah, so Connor had always been, um, Connor, my, my friend, he had always been bugging me about making a podcast um, and we just kind of decided, hey, you know, we're both into finance stuff now. He started on Robinhood um, investing when he was, uh, when he turned 18 back in October, I think. Uh, and my birthday was in late March, which, which worked out for me really, really well because I literally got in right at the bottom of the market. Um, but I mean, we'll, we'll talk about it later, but it's not so much about the gains as it is about the experience. Um, but we, we just decided, Hey, you know what? Let's just try this. Let's make it a podcast. So we signed up for a free trial of the podcasting software. Um, we, we took what we had, um, and turned it into a podcast first cup. We did the first few on one night. Um, then we put them out and we got way more of a positive response than we thought, and we started to kind of uncover um, that a lot of kids are really interested in this kind of stuff. And there's no one out, else out there that has a podcast for kids by kids. It It might be one of the easiest things to get a podcast up and running. You don't need a big distribution system. You don't need a fancy mic like the one I have here. You literally could get it started with your phone. We have filmed uh, episodes with our phone. So you really just need a phone at the basic level. If you have a computer, even better, because then you can start to really get into editing. Um, So you can edit out your little mistakes, edit out parts of it, um, and just go through and do that. If you have a Mac, GarageBand is completely free. That's still what we use. We haven't paid anything extra other than GarageBand that comes with our computer. If you have a Windows, there's a ton of free, free software out there, so it really doesn't have to be this fancy thing. Well, I definitely think that we want to keep it going in college. Um, we've been doing it virtual this whole time. We've only done one in-person episode. The rest we've done over Zoom. So I don't see why we can't keep doing that in college. Um, obviously, it's going to be a little busy, but I'm sure we'll find time once every two weeks to get a podcast episode in there. Um, we would like to try to expand our market um, a little bit more. Uh, so we may look into advertising at some point. Um, with any cash that we can make, um, off the podcast, which we haven't turned a profit on it yet, but we'll have to see. Um, even if we don't, I think we still want to keep it going because it's a good, honestly, it's a good resource for us and it's a good resource for other people to, you know, be able to look up these things and try to, and really learn, um, about what people think about investing and how, how everything works. Um, and then share that knowledge with others is really, really cool. Um, so that's, that's kind of our plans for it, but we definitely want to keep it going. And thank you so much for, uh, for your, your support.
1: Mhm
0: yes i I was gonna say Connor is a huge part of this we We definitely split the work fifty fifty um he's done a lot of the social media stuff and put us in a good position where we could start advertising right now if we if we wanted to um so if we're able to make a profit, then we'll definitely begin um, advertising and really try to get the word out, um, about it because like you said, there's so many great benefits and from the experience, from the, um, the response that we've gotten, which has just been incredible. I mean, I don't think any Connor or I expected the podcast to, to go this far, (laughs) you know, um, in terms of our viewership, we are, when you look at the graph, we're steadily climbing in terms of our downloads, which is exactly where we want to be right now. Um, and then hopefully we can kind of turn that curve. You know, we've been looking at maps with curves and we're expecting them to go down for coronavirus, but this is the one where you want to see it exponentially go up, right? As more people find out about the podcast. Well, you should definitely find out what you want to talk about. Find something that you're really passionate about. Um, it could be music. It could be sports. It could be whatever it is. Um, and then make a few practice episodes. I wish that's something that Connor and I would have done instead of rushing it out the door, um, kind of like we did. If we would have really stopped and make um, a couple practice episodes, we probably could have had a better product when we first started. Um, but you can literally just make one by recording with your phone. Um and if you have any professional audio equipment, um, you can obviously use that. And honestly, having the having the mic in front of me, having the headphones on just helps me kind of internalize, okay, I'm in podcasting mode, um, but it's definitely not something that's necessary when you first start. Um, so just have your phone record a little bit um, and then send it to some people that you trust that will give you good, honest feedback, not maybe not your grandma, because she'll just prop you up and then say, oh, this is a great thing. And that's, that's something that I did, you know, we sent podcast to my grandparents of like, oh, this is amazing. Um, but we didn't actually get that good critical feedback until we sent it to people like Mr. Hernandez or sent it to people like Mr. Consiglio that, that really kind of picked it apart um, and pointed out some things that we can work on. Um, in addition to saying that, you know, the general aspect of it was good. Um, so having that mix of, Criticism and uh, and the positivity is always a good thing. So just just get started. Just get started. Uh huh.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Right. This is why we went for the guys and ties, we went to Mr. Hernandez first to get feedback because we knew that he was going to we knew that, that you know, what, what, we, what we were hearing was true and that um, and that, you know, he wouldn't bar anything just because of an existing relationship that we were actually going to hear the critical feedback that we really needed. Um, so having people like that in your corner um, that care about you so much that they're willing to give you good criticism um, is a really good thing. Mm-hmm. Sorry, one second. Let me just look at this email real quick. I got about the move in. We'll go back. Wow, they have to, they're going to wait a week to, to reopen the site. What an epic failure. Anyway. All right, let's go back. I'm sorry
1: mm-hmm
0: well the purpose for me um because I want to do broadcasting I've gotten the broadcasting bug so that's what I want to do um the purpose for me is to get real world experience um not just stuff on paper but to get the real world experience and make connections with people in college um and then also just help me be a more educated person um you know, to know some of those general education things. Um, And then also have the freedom to live by myself, but also in a structured environment. So I'm not just released out into the world, um, but there is some kind of structure before we get to that step. Because life is a lot different in college than it is uh, here at home, especially because um, family is a really important thing and I spend a lot of time with my family. Uh, So getting used to not having them around and Being completely in control of my schedule is going to be uh, an important thing to learn, and I think college is a great environment to learn it. So this is where picking the right college comes in for me. Um, Journalism is is so broad. Um, so when you're looking at broadcast journalism, I wanted to pick a school, um, that was top tier because they would have the best chance to have these real world experiences. Right. So, um, a lot of journalism schools are on the coast and are super expensive. Think USC, Syracuse, um, George Washington, Washington. Um, uh, let's see. Maryland is another good one. Northwestern in Chicago. Um, all of those are really great journalism schools, and they're also going to cost you like 60 grand a year, which is nowhere near what um, somebody from the Midwest uh, middle class can afford. So, um, my options were quickly dwindled down um, to Oklahoma, Arizona State, and Mizzou. Uh, so, I toured all three. Um, I went to Mizzou first, definitely felt like it was a, a great fit. Went to Oklahoma, didn't feel like that. ASU, I went, and you could see at ASU um, the real-world opportunities, just like Mizzou. Um, And so then it just kind of came down to distance and feel. Um, Mizzou definitely had more of that campus feel. Uh, It was more traditional. At ASU, honestly, it kind of felt like a business park when you were walking through um, the the Tempe campus. The one in Phoenix where the journalism school was is just – it's so new. Everything is 10 years – 10 years old, so they have the newest equipment, the newest stuff, um, but I felt like I wanted something that was a little more rooted in tradition, a little more grounded, and also closer to home. So that's how I landed on Mizzou, um, and I could not be happier with my pick. Mizzou is the only school that has a NBC station, or any public station for that matter, that the university owns. So the University of Missouri actually owns Mid-Missouri's NBC station. So starting as a freshman, I'll be working with producers – at KOMU to learn how to produce. And no other school in the country can do that. So knowing that going in um, is really good for me because I know that I'm literally going to get that real world experience. Because the first, I remember the first orientation thing I went to for the journalism school, they immediately started talking about real world experience and I was pretty sure, yeah, this is the place. Yeah, as a freshman, um, there'll be opportunities for it um, if you if you want it. I, I mean, I think that's the thing about Mizzou that I've really liked, and I don't want to be a mouthpiece for him. I think everybody should check it out for themselves. Um, but the thing about Mizzou that I've found is that if there's an opportunity for student journalism or for at, at whatever. Um, they're going to be offered it first and then they're going to take it to, um, to the people that they, uh, that they care about, um, their students that they really um, see as excelling. Um, and if you have an idea for an opportunity, they're never just going to turn it down. They're, they're going to try to see if there's a way that they can make it happen because they actually have to cover real news for real people. So for instance, Chiefs go to the Super Bowl That's a Missouri story. We've got to send reporters down there. So they send two juniors to the Super Bowl to cover the Super Bowl. I guarantee somebody from uh, Missouri is going to make it into the World Cup. So they're going to have to send people to the World Cup in 2022, to the Olympics in 2021. All those events, they've got to send people. So to cover for their real outlets, they have a paper, they have a radio station, they obviously have the TV station. So you get those opportunities. And if you want it, if you ask for it, You can have it. That's what I've learned. Exactly. Well, I hope I'm working in a place um, where I feel like I'm still learning things. Um, I hope that my connections at Mizzou really help me to be able to get a job. Um, The J school has a 99% job placement after graduation, At Mizzou um, and most of those are are pretty good jobs because you have Mizzou Tigers working in these new newsrooms and then they go and they hire more Mizzou Tigers. So that's a uh, that's a big thing. Um, So I hope that I'm using my connections well um, and kind of figuring out what I want to do. I I hope I'm traveling. I really like to to travel. um, So I hope I'm able to do that um, before I might start a family. Um so something like that when I'm 25 to 30 is what I would like to see. to get all of the journalism things done or to get I think that um, a lot of it, honestly, is kind of how I like to think about things, is I don't want to go into things without a plan. I want there to be a destination, but I'm okay if the destination changes. So for, for journalism, you know, you could be living in one city one year and then moving the next year because there's a better opportunity and just bouncing all over the place. Because that's, that's one thing I've definitely learned. Um, I have a journalist uh, who's a cousin of mine, And she's moved everywhere from California to New York to Washington to Turkey for two years. Um, And so she just followed wherever the opportunities were. Um, And now she's kind of stable in Washington, D.C. right now, which is good. Um, So it takes that bouncing around. So I think having a destination in mind, but being okay with the destination changing and the route changing um, is a really important thing when it goes to journalism. So I feel like I have that flexibility, but it's definitely going to be difficult, but Nobody said it was going to be easy. Well, I think that, you know, journalism is a really broad thing. Um, So maybe you wouldn't want to be an on-air talent or maybe even not a producer. Um, But there's a lot of people that do journalism for the strategic communication part of it. So marketing um, and designing advertisements and and just general communication, those are really, really important things um, to to do. uh, And they kind of have that journalistic uh, aspect in mind. Um, Honestly, I think the world is changing right now. And I think a lot more people are able to do their work from home. uh, More things are able to be done over Zoom and over other aspects. So I think there might be less moving around, especially for those jobs, because you can do them from anywhere. You can sit in your computer and do them from anywhere. If you want to excel to the highest levels, then you're definitely going to have to be comfortable with bouncing around. For example, um, Joe Buck, who's, you know, an ama- uh, I wouldn't say he's amazing because I personally, am, I don't care for him. Uh, but he, uh, he's, you know, obviously one of the greats in terms of right now for, for commentating. So, but he had to start doing, you know, double-A baseball in Louisville, Kentucky, and then move on from there, even though his dad... Jack Buck was literally the head commentator for the Cardinals and was like a bastion in St. Louis. So it doesn't matter how well connected you are. You're going to be moving around. And so he moved a lot before he got his job at Fox, which is basically my dream job would be, you know, (laughs) being able to just live in St. Louis or live wherever you want, travel for a weekend, do a game, come back home, and then you're good to go. Yeah. I mean, if you're really thinking about it, you have to you have to work all the hours in the week because you want to have that end goal in mind. Um, so working hard at all the aspects of your life um, is really hard. Um, and but that's something that you've got to do if you want to if you want to kind of get to that get to that point is maximizing your time. Um, and that's not working all the time. I like to rest. I like to play. Um, but honestly, for me, violin is an outlet for me. So, you know, if I'm stressed or just need a break, I'll go play violin, but I'm also learning something while I'm doing it too. Um, I've never been a huge, I mean, I, I play video games, but I've never been a huge, um, like sit down and play five hours of video games just cause I don't, I don't really learn anything from that. You know, it's fun, but I don't, I don't really learn anything from that. I think so. I think that there's, for the party ethic, I think that there's so much stress that comes with these jobs of being an actor or a singer. Because it's so subjective, right? There's nothing you can really measure an actor by. an act you know, an amazing actor could get turned down for a role just because her hair color isn't what the director wanted. That's one thing that I've really learned, um, and your next question on the on the document is who really gets the leads and plays? what are directors looking for? They're looking for what they have in their head. They're not looking for a specific person, and that's one thing that's that is really, really hard to accept is you may be on paper, the best actor for a role. But if your height isn't right or if your eye color isn't right or what they were looking for, then you may not get it. For example, um, in Sound of Music, you know, a big thing is that the kids have to go from tallest to, to smallest, right, to, to shortest. So they literally, in the callback, they lined the kids up to figure out which role they would play and to see who would not fit in the line test that has nothing to do with anybody's ability. It just has to do with their height. But it's part of the show, and it has to look that way. So, yeah. Exactly, exactly. So that's uh, something to keep in mind, and I think that that's why you get the party um, ethic. One, because it's glamorous, and so they may think that, um, you know partying is is part of that glamour um, even if it's on a smaller scale um, but then second I, I think it's just an outlet for those people because you know it, it like and, and I guess for me too because it's like you've got to take a break sometimes from being judged all the time by nothing by things you don't have control over um, so just trying to wipe that away um, that's often where, where people go for that so I think that's why you see the party ethic. Um, I always, you know, when I get down, I always like to go back to things that I've done before that I'm proud of. So I have, you know, pictures or a video, or I have a list of things that I've done before that I'm really proud of. Like that was, that was a really good thing that I did. So just trying to get myself back up by saying, you know, you may not have gotten this thing, but look at all the other things that you've, you've done. There'll be something else that comes up. You just have to look for it. You said they don't like school. Is are they getting D's because they don't like school or because they're working too hard on everything else? Yeah. So if they're working too hard on everything else, um, then then I, I think. Firstly, I think part of it, honestly, the reason why I was able to do so much in high school is because I had phenomenal teachers, you know, obviously you're one of them, but there's so many more, um, especially in the AP classes, um, that were flexible with my schedule. So if I had a show that week, um, you know, I, I would come in before and say, Hey, this is what I have going on. Is there any way that you can help me, um, to get through this? Um, is there any way that I can kind of try to make up things later on or get stuff done in advance? Um. That's a huge uh, thing that I would say if you want to be as busy as, uh, as me, although I wouldn't recommend it, honestly, because it got to the point in October and November senior year where I literally had to try to maximize every single minute of my day to be able to get stuff done, and it just wasn't worth it. Just wasn't worth it. So, like, you know, in the car, I'd have to listen to something for school, and then while I'm eating my snack, I'm going to study this, blah, blah, blah. You know, and it's just like, there's just no time to relax. Um, so it definitely took a toll. So I think that's um, something that's really important. But anyway, back to your question. Um, yeah, I guess I would try to figure out what, what, um, what the problem is. And if they don't like school, um, then I think I would use the incentive of college. You know, you don't want to be taking these classes in college. So you, you should try to get them out of the way now. Um, and and get your grades up now uh, so that you can have that aspect later on. And, you know, you don't have to get A's. Nobody said you have to have a 4.0 GPA, Um, but there's definitely, you know, better ways to do it. But uh, honestly, I think something with education is that um, sitting in a classroom doesn't work for everybody. Sometimes they need more hands-on, more one-on-one instruction. So I think finding out what learning works for you, um, and especially You know, if you go to a school where the teachers are willing to work with students, then go talk to your teachers because that's what I did. And it really helped me. Yeah. Yeah, I'm really glad that I, like I said, I got that college algebra done. I got some APs out of the way. So I don't have to worry about it in in college. Okay. Um, you know I think we could have talked a little bit more about uh, just um. Sorry, I'm gonna you have to give me a second to think about it. Um. Oh, uh, we could talk about my senior recital. So yeah. So my, yeah. So for my senior recital, um, I was planning to have it in person on March 28th, 2020. Um, I, we had rented a small theater for 175 people. Um, I I guess this kind of goes into the work, work ethic, like you were talking about, um, and dealing with things that go wrong. Um, so obviously, you know, around March 15th, 16th, we were very sure that this was not going to be able to happen the way that we wanted to. And in addition, it was going to be my grad party as well. So I was missing both things, the senior recital that I had been working six months for and, um, and the, and the grad party, which was supposed to be culmination of, of everything that I had been doing over the last four years. So knowing that I wasn't going to be able to do that was a big defeat until I realized like, wait, I know how to broadcast things. It's like, we can't get the grad party back, but I know that we can do the senior recital um, with, with the broadcasting equipment. So I asked, and, um, and it was approved, and I was able to get the equipment from St. James. I bring it back to my house, and we set up an entire broadcasting studio in our living room, um, and I taught my family how to use the equipment. They were just absolutely amazing because they jumped into something they had no idea how to do before. Um, and became pros at it by the end. And we put on the we put on the um, the the senior recital as we had planned. Um, and we actually got three times more people. We had over five hundred viewers. Um, five to six hundred is the estimate um, based on the based on the statistics that we had um, for it. So it was just a really great uh, a great event, and it was a great way to kind of overcome an adversity. Uh, of not being able to do it in person. And I know a lot of people really enjoyed it, especially with you know the quarantine happening and so much uncertainty. Um, people just enjoyed having that outlet, and it was a good thing for me to do too, to not give up, to find a way around a huge problem. Yeah, sure, you can go to newkirkrecital.com. Um, and the link is posted there to watch the recital. Um, I've, I started a web design business um, a little while ago. Uh, I've been doing that uh, kind of as a side hustle for about three years. Um, I have made five websites, I believe, um, plus a couple for personal uses um, like that one. Um, but professionally, I think I've done five for other companies or entities. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I, over the school year, I got about five to six hours. And this is why I always tell people, I was like, just, I could have dropped something, you know, I, I, I didn't need to do it all. I could have dropped, like I got enjoyment from everything, but honestly, I probably did need a little bit more sleep and I don't know if I would recommend everything that I did to everyone, you know, and the other thing is I, I tend to be a perfectionist sometimes and I felt like I could have been more comfortable with just, um, you know, maybe I didn't need to stay up until 1am making that graphic for Thunder Broadcasting. That was kind of just to appease myself not really to, to, to do that. So I think that's a big part of it. Um, But I've definitely tried to work on getting more sleep. Obviously everybody's sleep schedule is wrecked by the pandemic and staying at home. But, um, but I, I have been trying to get more sleep and I definitely will try to do that in college, but we'll see how that goes. Yeah. I think um in all the you know, everything that I've done has only uh and everything that I'm able to do is only because other people have helped me do it. Um it's always been about how other people have have helped me. Um and everything that I have is because of of other people um putting their trust in me. So I, I think that um just looking back and looking at all the people that have helped me and how I was able to help them um, is a really big thing. Um, I think the senior recital would be something I think about because that was a way, you know, it it, it started as this, you know, maybe a self-indulgent thing for me, um, or maybe it came across that way um, just because, you know, it's just me performing out there. Um, but it was really then it became more about performing for others in, you know, an awful time in history where everybody is really having to change everything about their lives, um, where you're staying at home and, uh, and you don't get that enjoyment. There's nothing going on. Um, and so this is like the only live thing out there. So looking back on that and looking at the people that helped me and how I was able to give back to them, I hope that I can, you know, tell my grandchild, like, this is, this is how I was able to repay that person for what they gave me, or, you know, everybody that is able to give me an opportunity in journalism, if that's what I keep going into, I hope that I can give something back to them, right? Absolutely, and get back to God as well, yeah. Yeah, thank you so much Mr. Webker. You're uh, you're great and we'll make sure to promote your podcast for sure cuz it's uh it's a great thing. You can learn a lot from it. So, but thank you so much.